Hello, and welcome to Our Walk Home. Join good friends Amy, Aaron, and Kate as they take a deep dive into the world of sugar addiction. Three women who found the strength to tackle their own addiction through community, courage, and commitment. Each 40-minute show will tackle a new subject, offering a little guidance and inspiration as you take your own walk home back from the edge of addiction. Welcome, everybody. Um, today is likely to be a little bit of a, a heavy episode as um, we have felt this pull to talk about the way that sugar has affected all of our mental health aspects. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of physical effects to substance uses, um, and sugar is definitely a psychoactive drug and affects our bodies. But I think what came to a surprise to me, and I think to both of you as well, is how much sugar affects our mental uh, state of health as well. It, it was probably the most surprising thing to me that I realized as I started on this journey of recovery. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to sharing some of of those aha moments with all of you. Uh, but first, I'd like to welcome Kate. Hi, hi, thank you. Um, my name's Kate, and I'm an adoptee and a sugar and carb addict. These days, my symptoms are mostly remission, but I've truly learned the hard way never un to underestimate the disease of addiction or to overestimate my recovery. And these days I get to work with other sugar and carb addicts to guide them into recovery and to walk with them on their own journey home. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, I feel like saying, who on earth picked this subject <laughs> as a topic to discuss? Because um for me, there's so much pain wrapped around this, but I'm really open to what comes up in this conversation and what we can share that might inspire others to find answers to, to a particular place they find themselves in today. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm a holistic wellness coach and food addiction counselor in New York. And um, the topic today is a very personal one and hits close to home with my life and story. So this, yeah, this will surely be an interesting one. <laughs> well, I'll start. I'm Erin and uh, I'm a pediatrician in Alaska. Um, and I'm starting to see you know, certainly during the pandemic, it was all about mental health for kids, um, girls with eating disorders, mostly girls, uh, just the symptoms skyrocketed, skyrocketed during the pandemic, uh, depression, loneliness, anxiety. Those were all of my visits, of course, with people not being around each other and infecting each other with the viruses that is usually my daily schedule. Um, it was just dramatic. And all of my colleagues have commented on that. And once I got into recovery and I realized how much food was affecting me, I'm starting to think, my goodness, how much is this affecting the kids of today? Because all they're eating, well, not all they're eating, a lot of the foods of children, of society as a whole, but especially children, 
is boxes and packages and processed and full of sugar. A couple weeks into recovery and being sugar and grain-free, flour, seed oils, uh, just really great abstinence, I kind of started noticing that I didn't have the same anxiety that I had, that uh, when I forgot something in the house, I didn't beat myself up for 20 minutes about, oh, I'm going to be late and I'm such this terrible person just because I had to go back into the house for something. I started noticing noticing when I had this negative self-talk. In fact, I remember reaching out to you, Amy, once and just thinking, I'm just saying all these terrible things about myself and I don't know what to do about it. Before it was just... I took them as the truth. And now I started to kind of have that question of, gosh, is this even true? And decided to go ahead and and do affirmations. Well, if I'm saying negative things about myself, what what can I do to say positive things about myself? And just the awareness that I noticed early on in recovery that I was even having this negative self-talk because it's how I talked to myself for 40 some odd years. It was crazy to all of a sudden have this light go on that say, this doesn't feel right. When it was where I felt comfort in the past, all of a sudden that didn't feel right. And um, fast forward, I think I mentioned this before, I'd had six months of just super clean abstinence, had a half a cup of blueberries and cried for an entire day. And I thought, this is crazy. This is even a natural sugar and it's making me cry so much. All of this time, I had been using food my entire life. I had been using food to comfort me in my pain, to self-medicate depression, to self-medicate anxiety. And when I stopped the food and started realizing, maybe I don't have as much depression and maybe I don't have as much anxiety anymore... And then when I slipped back into some sugar and my depression and anxiety went through the roof, thought this is crazy. I was using the substance causing depression and anxiety to somehow magically think that it would treat my depression and anxiety. And I think that is one of my most amazing discoveries on this journey of recovery is how much the fuel that I put into my body, the nourishment that I put into my body, it can do that. It can fuel and it can nourish if I'm eating real food. And the minute I turn to not eating real food and I eating processed food and sugar really in any sort, um, it leads me down that path of depression and anxiety that I, it, I never thought it would. It just, that was one of my most amazing discoveries. You know, it's so powerful, Erin, to hear you share that because it just reminds me that in community, as part of recovery, how similar our experiences are. And yet the addiction drives us into such um, secrecy. My whole life was built around opportunities to go out and secretly eat. And it just drives the experience of alienation. I didn't want anybody to interrupt what I was doing. Um, And also the the isolation piece. Um, I know in AA literature and other 12-step programs, we refer to this as terminal uniqueness. We believe there's something special about us. Yes, I know you're telling me it's X, Y, Z, but I'm different. I'm special. You know, I'm adopted. I have ADHD. You know, all these labels that we park on ourselves and say that holds me separate to you. When in fact, when we have the opportunity 
to share our experiences together. It's so powerful because we realize how alike we are and how similar the symptoms are that we're experiencing. And, you know, you touched on COVID and the social isolation piece, which just um, really pushed this idea of secrecy for our, our youngsters, you know, it drove that home, didn't it? Did It took them out of their um, support groups and their community and left them to fend for themselves. And that's not where we need to be as human beings. We need to belong. We need to feel part of that tribe. Um, but what I wanted to say was similar to your experience, I used sugar to change the way I was feeling. I used it like a drug. Sugar is a psychoactive drug. But I used it to stop. My, it's so hard to talk about this, isn't it? But if I'm getting real with you, I'm telling you I had intrusive thoughts and I had compulsive thoughts. And I found it very hard once I was in a cycle of looping on thoughts of anxiety to get out of that cycle. And I would get quite desperate. I remember... Um, just experiences of completely not being able to sleep at night time and being so the noise between my ears and in my head, the compulsive thoughts being so intrusive and hearing a voice constantly banging on about what a disgusting person I was, um, the self-loathing that I, I couldn't control um, my eating and how really I just didn't really deserve to go on because it I wasn't worth it and the effort just wasn't worth it. And it brings back really dark memories. And, you know, times like these, I thank God for groups like the Samaritans, where I would call them in the middle of the night and some patient woman would sit with me on the other end of the phone where I just would talk or be silent or just feel connected to somebody at the end of the phone in moments of absolute isolation and desperation. And that is, it's a memory of pain that's so real for me that um, it kind of holds me now in recovery because I cannot bear the thought of going back there. What happened, as Erin was describing, I started to notice that the more binge eating I entered into, the more I overate or overconsumed the sugar and the junk food, the worse the symptoms were. But it doesn't register. It's almost like it doesn't register as an experience. And I kept going back there doing the same thing, using the same behavior and coming out with the same result, this terrible, intrusive, compulsive thoughts and really negative thoughts. And then slowly and gradually, I was able to create some distance and see that though that, that behavior was happening as a result of what I was consuming. And it was a massive aha moment. So I'm just going to pause there and pass on to you, Amy, but I'm sure we've all got lots more to share. Yes, thank you. Um, so Erin and Kate, what you were just talking about and the way you were feeling about yourself sometimes can drive somebody to want to go into therapy, you know, as a, just a natural reaction to feeling that way, um, even just desperate in the middle of the night. 
So I think some people start to feel depressed or anxious or they can't sleep at night. Um, they don't realize it's because of the sugar they're putting in their body that's causing them to feel this way. So they go into therapy and then naturally they end up with a psychiatrist who would like to prescribe medicine, which can possibly help the situation. Um, but that's not, I just feel that that's not what I just, I'm sorry, if we rewind back, I just feel where sugar is creating the problem. A lot of people don't know about that. So if we're able to teach that and try to help wean people off of sugar, then we wouldn't need to, then doctors wouldn't need to prescribe that medication. But I feel that it's not the doctor's fault because I do feel that doctors were trained, you know, a certain way and they know about medicine more than they do know about nutrition. So um, I just can tie it into a personal experience with my story. I know I've, I know I've shared it, so I won't really get into it too much, but about 30 years ago, I was eating foods that I thought were okay for me that had zero fat. I thought we were supposed to stay away from the fat. So as long as the label said zero fat, um, I thought it was okay. And I ended up in a huge, in a huge depression, I pulled into the parking lot of a gym and I couldn't get out of my car. My legs felt so heavy. My body felt so heavy. I could barely walk. I just remember crying. I couldn't get out of the car. I couldn't wake up every, every single day. When I did wake up, I woke up. I couldn't talk to anybody because I would just cry, but I didn't know what I was crying about. So there was nothing, there was no situation in my life that was causing this to happen. So it, it was scary. So when I went to the doctor, they did prescribe medicine. And I did take the medicine um, and it started to help. But then that's when I started realizing that the nutrition, the nutrition aspect of my depression um, was what caused this. And what I needed to do to get out of this wasn't only take the medication, but was to look into my nutrition. So I knew eventually I wanted to wean off of this, but I knew if I was going to wean off of it, that I would need to really put my nutrition in order and figure out what foods affected me, what I can eat and what I can't eat. So I did wean off the medicine and I tried eating real clean. And when I did that over time, it made me realize how difficult it was to avoid the sugar. So that's when I started realizing that there has to be an addiction involved in this because all I want to do is eat clean, but I'm having trouble. And sometimes I would be led back to the sugar and I would see immediately how that would make me feel. So I started diving into every book just about anything I could about addiction and neuroscience and sugar and tying it all together and just realizing when I ate processed food or sugar, I I could I really don't function that well. So I feel like there's Amy on sugar, there's Amy off sugar, and I'm 
I'm really two completely different people. You know, Amy Offshore, I have the confidence to really do what I want to do in my life, get things done, go through my day. I'm not exhausted. Um, show up, show up for my family. But when I'm on sugar, it's a totally different story. It's like dragging through the day. I'm exhausted. It's so hard to, it's just so hard to do anything when I get into the sugar. Um, so really, um, I find that sugar causes Sugar definitely caused my depression. I think sugar can cause mental illness. I don't want anyone to think that um, it's the only thing that causes mental illness. I mean, there is a time and a place for medicine to treat this, but in my situation, it was really, it was really the nutritional piece, not for everybody, but in mine. And I still feel today, like for example, a few weeks ago, I had some sugar and I was so anxious. I don't really know anxiety that well. I know depression more than anxiety. Um, but I was so anxious and I, I, everybody around me noticed how anxious I was. Um, and I just realized I need to clean this up because it just doesn't feel good. So that's my story. <laughs> and I will um, pass, pass it back to you, Erin. Well, I think you guys, all three of us have have kind of experienced this idea that Sugar itself as a substance is affecting our brain and it's causing mood changes and it's it's causing um, lots of physical things within us for sure. Um, but then there's that deeper piece that you both touched upon and that's the addiction to the sugar that I think is is then drives all those neurotransmitters and neurochemical effects of sugar. The addiction piece of it then just takes it to another level that that pain becomes so much deeper into our soul, not just into our, our, you know, think of our beings as physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, you know, the sugar definitely has the physical, it has the mental, it has some of the emotional. I think the addiction for me is really where the spiritual get, gets affected and where in my soul, then I am in just so much pain. I know this food. I mean, I'm a doctor telling people don't eat these things. And then I go back to my office and I binge on all of these foods. I get up at five and I got up at five in the morning to go get all this junk food, knowing it wasn't right. So I went there early so nobody would see me. I would do all of these things in private. I would feel t terrible about it while I was doing it, knowing it was the wrong thing and not being able to stop. And it's that soul experience of not of not having integrity. I was at a, a 12 step meeting last week and somebody was talking about that idea of integrity, doing the right thing, even when nobody is watching. Um, I wasn't being, I wasn't acting with integrity by spewing these healthy lifestyle ideas to all of my kids and their families, and then going back and doing the exact opposite. Most importantly, I was not showing integrity to myself. I ended up with diabetes, and then I just kept eating that way, and it got out of control. So I, I wasn't living by my values, and I wasn't living by my principles. And it yes, the sugar was driving a lot of it, but it was that addiction piece that even knowing all of the things, because even this past year, I know that these substances, sugars, and processed foods will cause me all kinds of pain. Being off of it really showed me 
how much pain I was in because it just became part of normal life. I didn't even realize how bad it was until I came off of it. But I still, because of addiction, struggle with that idea of every minute of every day making the next right choice and doing the choice that's going to match my values. And I'm not perfect, but I notice it more and I don't go down this slope. I it's It happens. Oh my goodness. Let's turn this around. Let's start the day over again. And I keep going. Um, and that's what recovery is, is just to keep going for me. When my addictive brain wants to sabotage everything about what I believe in. Um, and that's, I think, probably the most painful place to be is wanting to do it differently and not being able to. And I, I resonate with you so much, Kate, with that idea. And I hear it everywhere in addiction. I didn't necessarily want to kill myself, but I would be okay if I didn't wake up in the morning. I hear that phrase everywhere from all addicts. And I, it just strikes me that it goes to that deeper soul level of addiction. The substances are terrible and they do terrible things to us. And then the addiction just puts our, our being and our soul in a place that it's so hard to overcome those physical substances or the behaviors that bring us that neurotransmitter hit of dopamine um, you know, it's just so complex and that's why it takes such effort and it takes daily practice. And, um, a phrase I've heard before that I just adore is eternal vigilance. It takes eternal vigilance. But the payoff is huge and life becomes extraordinary, but you're right. Um, the awareness piece is absolutely key. Self-awareness is key. And that's part of the journey into recovery. So what brought me into recovery was, was very much that cycle that I that I described. Eat sugar, eat the junk food, eat the rubbish, and just an overwhelm of self-abusive thought. Don't eat the sugar, don't eat the junk food, don't eat the rubbish, abstain. And that line of self-abusive thought stopped. And I just had such a deep realisation that something was triggering a response in my brain. You know, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I didn't know anything. I just knew from self-experimentation, you know, it's it's like um, wax on, wax off, isn't it? In that film, The Karate Kid and all the rest of it, the rest of it do this, this happens, do that, that happens. You know, it comes down to something as basic as that. And yet I still didn't know um, what to do. I just recognised that something was triggering a response in my brain. Hope, hang on, pain ends. Hope, hang on, pain ends. I love that. And I was also just thinking, actually, I wrote down this quote from Dr. Paul Early, who's the president of the American Society of Addiction Medicine, because it really sums up my own experience. And um, he was talking about a patient, a client, and their experience. Uh, and he said, it slowly dawned on me that my daily sugar consumption was a problem. I decided I would muster my strength to fight my compulsion to snack. I would commit to abstain and would do so for periods of time. But now my hard-fought abstinence would collapse into binge eating 
and this was something new to me. The harder I fought, the worse it got. Once the inevitable binge erupted, each fall into oblivion became more ferocious and self-destructive than the last. Something, he said, was plotting to kill me. And that's exactly how I felt with my experience, just a deep realisation that my own brain was doing a really great job of, I'm going to swear, but ruining my life. My own brain was doing that and something was triggering my brain to behave in that way. I completely understand that. That's what I didn't understand about my own life is how I wanted something so badly, but I couldn't get there. How I knew sugar was making me so sick, but yet my brain was obsessed and craving sugar all day long, craving things that I normally wouldn't even want. So I realized something was so wrong. How is there such a disconnect? I want this, but yet I'm doing that. And that was, I guess that was fascinating to me. And that's what brought me to really loving the science behind all of this and loving to read books about the brain. But what I was just thinking when you guys were talking is we do this, you know, we enjoy speaking with each other, um, but we also are doing this for other people out there that may be listening and maybe it can help somebody. So um, I was thinking maybe we can come up with an email and send if anybody's listening and they wanted to know how they can help themselves because some of our stories are resonating with us, with them. Maybe they can be in touch with us and we can give them some direction of a community or where they can go or how they can get some help because just having you as you two as a community is huge and so helpful. And we met in a community, a bigger community. So um, I think we can start with that with an email and um, maybe we can help somebody else out there that's that's struggling. It does seem to always come back to community, doesn't it? I think that that's, that's such an important piece of this. And, and I've definitely heard the, the opposite of addiction is, is what? <laughs> Connection. The opposite of addiction. I was thinking community and that didn't sound right. The opposite of addiction is connection. Um, because it really does. It takes that, it, it's, it's that, feeling that we are all in this together and and I'm not crazy and and these things that I'm feeling are not because I'm a bad person it's not this moral judgment I'm not alone as much as my disease wants me to feel alone I'm not alone I think is so important and nowadays um Dave Wolf and Cynthia Maris Morrison wrote about this actually in their fantastic book about, I think it's called um, The Fix for Cravings, but they talked about utilising the memory of pain to keep you on the road of recovery because it's like the memory of pain. And I don't go back there often, but I think it does serve to take a glance in the rear view mirror and remember what it was like because it really was desperate. And then to look forward and take opportunities and take take occasions to share our stories and to share our recovery journey, to show the before and after, because that memory of pain is so visceral 
it's so real it's so raw when I touch into it and you know it just makes me think uh, there's no way I'm going back there you know I, I just have a huge healthy fear and respect of that memory of pain and I think it just reinforces the fact for me the reality that for this sugar addict me moderation is impossible and completely unattainable and I must not and don't trick myself into going back there and thinking that I can do it because I don't and like I said that cycle you know 40 years I spent yo-yo dieting but the intensity the rawness the painful mental symptoms happened later on in that cycle um you know, towards that last decade, I think, when the addiction had become so deeply entrenched, like Erin shared at soul level, that it was beginning to affect everything, you know, the, the biopsychosocial, spiritual, all of those aspects of my life were being affected by the sugar. That's when um, you, get, you get an opportunity to, I don't know how it happened, but it is, it must be around awareness. I don't know, just a total realisation that you you think, oh, I can't bear it, all this pain I have to use to get beyond this pain, creating stories around that to so that we go out and, and use our drug of choice or drug food of choice or whatever it is. But actually, um, Bitten Johnson would say this, you're putting the cart before the horse, you know, that you've got it the wrong way around. You get all these symptoms because you're using, stop using and then just see. And the, the work I did with Georgia EDMD, who is a metabolic psychiatrist and is amazing, just convinced me that, you know, she won't treat patients without them going on a period of abstinence just to get to like ground zero to see what, what's left in terms of symptoms that are being presented um, on a sort of psychiatric plane. You know, you know, it's one of those experiments you can try on yourself you know, note it, take some data, do some recordings. My husband's been using a, a CDM, a, a glucose monitor to see, see if it's affecting him. So he's getting some real-time data to see what's happening and seeing what effects it's having on his mental health as well around that. So, you know, the, there's, there's things to do and things to try. But I, I really, like I say, the memory of pain keeps me walking forward, keeps me going because I, I just don't want to, I don't want to go back there. Abstinence is the ticket into the show. And the show is extraordinary. You know, it's like you get to see life and you get to play in life. You get to grow in life and you get to take all these healthy risks and you get to try new experiences. This summer I was kayaking um, in southern Spain. I've never done that before. I would, I would always convince myself that I was hopeless hope you know all this narrative and then go out and get some coffee and whatever you know not my food to console myself because I couldn't do it it's so different now and yeah you know days I touch on joy and that just was never never possible never possible so I guess that's where I am yeah pass it over I love that Kate that now we get to play in life I love that I I feel that too we get to grow, grow together. Um, I just wanted to clarify because some people are confused when we actually just say the word sugar. Because I know I've had a conversation with somebody before, and they said, "Oh no, I'm not. I'm not really that into sugar. I like to eat potato chips and pretzels. You know, it's not really a sugar thing for me." So, um, basically, it all breaks down in your body the same way. So, when I say 
sugar, I really mean any processed food. Any processed food can cause cause us to feel anxious, can cause us to feel depressed. So I just wanted to, to clarify that because not everybody realizes that processed food would be, you know, breaks down and causes you to feel real crappy mentally. I uh, like to, I think, leave us with this idea. I think I first heard it in Al-Anon, um, the idea of awareness, acceptance, and action. Um, awareness is one of the first keys, and that's one thing that we've really tried to talk about today is this idea of how much uh, sugar, flowers, grains, um, you know, all the things that break down into sugar in your body, like Amy was saying, um, how much they can affect us, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It's it's profound, the effect that it can have on our mental health state and just our lives in general. Like Kate said, once we're out of it, we can, we can really play in life. Um, there's an acceptance there, I think, because the food is one thing, but the addiction is, is the next and, and accepting that we really are uh, addicts, you know, that we have this disease of addiction. It's a brain disease. So of course the outlets are going to affect our brain. Um, that's what's driving our behaviors and actions to get the foods um, or whatever substance or behavior that we want. And so it's looking for something in return. So those outlets are going to affect our brain. Um, but what I want to leave us with is the idea of action. What can we do? Um, because although it's it can be really gloomy and dark when you're in it, um, I think the three of us are so grateful that we're not in those dark places anymore. We can still see them when we turn in the rearview mirror and those memories of pain that you were talking about, Kate, they're still there. Um, but they, those memories of pain, we can look at them and say, we're not going back and we have a path forward now and there's light in front of us and that light is recovery. Um, so we hope that everybody out there who is wanting to feel better and has acknowledged and accepted the fact that addiction is is likely what's going on with them and that sugar truly is one of the outlets that feeds that addiction, we invite you into recovery with us because it is the way forward. And we are just so blessed to have each other on this journey together. Um, so as Amy said, we would love to hear from you. Um, our walk home podcast at gmail.com, please email us. And if you have any questions or specific topics that you would like to discuss, um, we, we have lots to talk about, so we can always come up with something, but we would for sure like to make sure that we're speaking to people about things they want to hear about as well. So thank you, Kate and Amy. This has, as always, been wonderful. I feel uplifted and lighter because of it. Um, and I uh, just so enjoy being on this journey with you. So thank you and have a wonderful day, everybody. <laughs>